1: Hello, I'm back and I'm better than ever. (laughs) Pretty cool. With another creative check-in. So today's creative check-in is about bad situations and how every seemingly bad situation has an equal benefit. And this came up because I was talking to a very dear friend of mine and he recently moved home to take care of his family and he moved home from LA. So he's having a moment of reinvention right now, and he's been searching for a job, and he was feeling a little bit down about the fact that, well, he left this well-plotted out path here in LA, and now it seems like he doesn't really have anything to grab onto there. But as we were talking, I realized that there are a lot of benefits in the situation he's in. So first of all, he left a path down here that he didn't feel was his path. So he He got away from something. You know, there's no point of continuing going down a path if it's not for you. Just because it's something to do and it's got some level of prestige doesn't mean you should keep going down it. The other thing is, to me, this says so much more about his character and his job potential that he went home to take care of his family. That's not an easy thing to do. That's not something that everyone can do. There's a special place in heaven for caregivers, I should know, because my mom is one, And you have to pour out your heart and soul to do that. The kind of loyalty it takes to be a caregiver is directly transferable to incredible loyalty as an employee. So that should give him a lot of self-esteem that he's done that. And maybe this is all happening for a reason. Maybe the point of why the job search is taking longer is because he's supposed to do something maybe he hasn't ever even thought of. And the things that he's applying to are just beneath what he's really meant for which is some level of greatness or a reinvention that takes him on a path of entrepreneurship. So the point is if you're in a situation and you feel like you lack control and you can't break free from it right now, instead of focusing on how it's hurting you, focus on the good it's bringing. What's the good message out of what's happening? Other examples from my own life would be I was working at a very prestigious company when I first moved here and and I was working way more hours than I was getting paid for, which is kind of illegal, but that's neither here nor there. And I was given some great advice at the time. And a mentor of mine said, you know, Lauren, yeah, they're using you, but you use them right back. So you use that company name. You learn everything you possibly can. You make the most of this situation. As long as it's an energy exchange, you don't have to feel like you lost anything. Another example would be, let's say something bad happens with someone in life. Like you find out that this person, you thought they were on your team and they weren't really for you in the end. And now you know exactly what you don't want, whether that's a relationship or a business relationship or a mentor. Now you know what you don't want. So when you go into a situation like that again, you're going to have your spidey sense up. And the minute you see that shit coming, you're going to run in the opposite direction or just put up a shield and be like, back off, bitch. (laughs) And just to circle back, I also got some really great advice from one of my mentors, Kevin Undergaro once, and he said, don't be a double loser. So that means don't have a bad situation and not take the good out of it. You already have the bad situation. You know what you don't like about it. Look really hard and long at that situation and try to figure out what the light in that situation is and really what the light is and what the lesson is because there's always those two things. So remember, if you're in a situation that's unideal right now, take as much good as you can from it, learn your lesson, and know when it's time to move on. We have more control than we think. And a lot of the time, it's easy to get in that dark, bad place. But there's so much good going on that we can see if we just zoom out a little bit from the situation. I always say, try to see from above. So try to see from above in your life. And let's get to the creative of the week. So the creative of the week this week is community member, writer, and entrepreneur, Jack G. Wilson. Jack is engaged to one of my mom's very best friends from like the time she was a young lady. They met at Michigan State. Her name is Trisha, And I recently met Jack when he and Trisha visited LA. And he shared a bit of his story with me. So not only is Jack an amazing creative, but he's also an amazing person. And that's exemplified in his recent book about his experience helping his daughter, Emily, in the aftermath of a debilitating spinal cord injury. The book is called Team Emily. He wrote this book to share Emily's courage and healing from her injury, and also to help other people who are out there who have family members dealing with spinal cord injuries. I was so inspired by this because he just speaks about his daughter with so much love, care, and inspiration but also because he wrote this book while running and selling his incredibly successful business, taking care of his daughter, taking care of his parents, and building an incredible relationship with Trisha. Jack has plans to write two more books, with the next one hopefully coming out in 2021. He's a great example of the fact that we can live many lives within our one life while simultaneously taking care of our families. He's definitely had a few different career paths and he's also taking this next stage of his life to really delve into his creativity, which is why we're all here. You can check out Jack's book Team Emily on Amazon or wherever good books are found. Now to the guest. Jericho Mandeber is a writer, podcaster, intuitive guide, and a spiritual self-care coach. Best known for her work at Boss the self-service podcast, and her new book, Neo-Tarot. Growing up in Australia, Jericho always had a strong imagination and felt a pull toward all things spiritual. However, due to cultural norms and a lack of an understanding about how you can make a job out of what she calls, quote, believing in fairies, she veered toward releasing her creativity through writing, which she found a passion for. Since then, she has had a great deal of success in that field. Her work has been featured everywhere from Refinery29 to Bustle to ABC to Marie Claire, and she's spoken on stage at events like the Girl Boss Rally, Pinterest In the Making Summit, and the Teen Vogue Summit. With a strong background in media as a writer and editor, she was a founding editorial director of Girlboss. She defined and grew the brand before taking the leap into spiritual leadership a couple months ago. And I was thinking a lot about...
0: Why I was sick and stressed and just decided that because of my own, like literally just my own pressure that I was putting on myself, it was too much. And I could either keep going like that and, you know, age myself energetically really quickly (laughs) or I could change it.
1: These days, she's finally working full time in spirituality. You can find her reading tarot cards, doing Reiki, writing about self care, and much more. I met Jericho while producing her amazing podcast, Self Service for Girl Boss. The minute I met her, I felt as if I was standing amongst angelic energy. She has this way of putting everyone around her at ease. So, I wanted to have her on the show because I love her, but also to show you that you can make a living and a career out of what you love, no matter how off the beaten path it feels. Additionally, I want to talk with her about how to know when you've outgrown a dream job. That's a really tough one, and it's a hard decision to make, and she did it when she left Girl Boss. From our conversation, you'll learn how to take the leap to do what your soul is yearning for, how to overcome preconceived notions of tarot and use it as self care how to start the process of healing childhood wounds, how to know when you've outgrown your dreams, and stop living for others and start living for yourself. Also, before we get to that one quick thing, I realized we talked about chakras a couple times and you might not have a clue of what that exactly is. So here's a crash course. Chakras are the energy centers in our body through which energy flows. There are seven main chakras starting from the base of the spine and they go up through the crown of the head. They're invisible wheels, quote unquote, of energy that keep us vibrant and healthy. So now that you know that, here she is, Jericho Mandibur. Thank you for being here. I love you so much.
0: Thank you for having me. I love you too. (laughs) friends.
1: (laughs) And you're one of the most creative people I know and so talented and generous a spirit. But I'm wondering, when you trace the lines of your life, do you remember the first time you realized you were creative?
0: Thank you so much for saying that. You're honestly right back at you in all of the above ways. I think I was just one of those kids that was like sensitive. And I think all kids are creative, but some they might have a, have a lot going on in their day-to-day life and they don't get time alone to just explore that. Whereas I really, really did. <laughs> because, you know, like I was left alone a lot. I was like in the backyard playing on my own with like sticks. You know, I was that wow. kind of kid. I, I did a lot of just staring off into the distance and I would just make up stories in my head. And I loved reading and I remember like the first – book that i requested that i get for myself obviously with not with my own money because i would have been like four
1: yeah child wages were down those yeah. days. years
0: <laughs> <laughs> so my, it was the the little mermaid like the hans christian anderson version but like a picture book version and i was in um you know like preschool like before you start school daycare and i just became like obsessed with this one book and i started thinking you know I'm a mermaid. Like, I just know that I'm a mermaid. And so I would like cross my legs at the ankle and sit, you know, in my backyard or sit in the playground at school. Cause I was like, you know, weird and just be like, la la la. And like, pretend I was a mermaid. So I think it's, it's always there. I think there's something about human beings where, we're, you know, spiritual beings and we're born with imagination and creativity. And I all think that's part of like having a soul. So it's, it's always there, but some people have it nurtured in them or they'll nurture it in themselves. And other people have to like, you know, rediscover how to do that later on. And it's like always a learning experience.
1: Yeah, definitely. Sometimes we have to unlearn in order to get back to that little girl.
0: Absolutely. I feel like that's been the story of my life. <laughs>
1: yeah. And it's constant, you know, because you're, we're inundated all the time. But I know when you were a child, you also went through a lot of trauma. You're a survivor of sexual abuse, and it resulted in, you said, ADHD and mental illness. And so a lot of people have had those, while they had those beautiful memories of the mermaid times when they were kids, mm-hmm. they also had those deep pains. And so I'm wondering how you coped with that and how you got through to your creativity and finding yourself again and what your advice would be for other people who have gone through something similar in their childhood.
0: Yeah, I it's so crazy because I think it's a bit of a chicken or the egg situation. And I don't want to imply that like, if you don't have you know, trauma or suffering that you can't tap into that creative side. But I think for me, that was the coping mechanism, you know? So again, I think it's always an innate part of who we are, but there's something about going through struggle that brings out something in people, whether Good, bad, like for better or worse. And in my case, it was just kind of like a bit of light dissociation, I guess. Like I'm not I'm not a psychologist, but I kind of <laughs> feel like escaping into your mind is what kids do when their immediate surroundings are too hard. And so in that way, it's only now, like I'm 33, that I've come to the point where I'm like, I've really, I feel like I've made peace with my past because if I hadn't had that, I wouldn't be as sensitive or. I, and I honestly don't think I would be as creative today. So yeah, it's interesting how the really dark times in our lives kind of build us up into the person that we're meant to be. So I'm really thankful that all that happened because I think maybe I would just take more for granted or I wouldn't be as, you know, in touch with myself and have the opportunity to have that experience and then repress it and go into adulthood and then go all the way back full circle to find that kid again, you know, and have those resources in my toolbox in a way because just because something's a coping mechanism doesn't mean it's a bad thing. We all need those. It's, it's a, a part of our um, survival and it's like a key to unlock how to like thrive in a lot of ways. And you talk a lot
1: about feeling other, growing up, too. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm sure even some uh, ways now, you know, it's like you're an Australian in America, you're part of the LGBTQ community, and you've got all of these beautiful extensions of yourself, this beautiful book that you wrote, Neo Tarot, you um, are a a life coach, you're a writer, you're all these things combined together. And I think I also felt weird growing up. But at a certain point, I was like, yes, I am. And I'm proud of it.
0: Uh But
1: it's hard when you're a kid and you do have a need on a societal level to fit in. So for other weirdos like us out there, how do you get in touch with pride in being weird? Instead of, I should go sit in a corner because I'm an other.
0: Yeah. Wow. Hmm. That's a really good question that I've never thought about. It felt very innate to me. Like it felt very automatic, almost like a defense mechanism. Like, um, oh, you think I'm weird? Do you? Let me show you how weird I can be, you know? (laughs) So I think it probably comes out in a lot of people in that way. Like you say, you get to a point where you're just like, fuck you then. Yeah. But if you feel like it, it doesn't kind of come naturally. I think the best thing to do is just really like step back and look at the bigger picture, read what other people have to say about it and really like stop and think about where your values are, what your morals are. Like for example, if you truly believe that, there are a lot of people out there in the world with shitty opinions, which we can see in the people we elect. Yeah, <laughs> for example, if if you believe that that's um, a fact, then why would you hold the opinions of others closer than your own opinion of yourself? You know, so sometimes it takes a little bit of interrogation, self interrogation. Yeah, mm. just to be like. Do I actually care? And you'll find that, like, the more you peel back those layers, the more that it's obvious that you don't and that you just kind of have to live like that. So you're kind of just checking yourself, you know, and being like, actually, no. Like, if I really, you know, journal about this or really interrogate myself in whatever way works for you, you kind of come to a point where you're like, yeah, no, like I wouldn't say this to my best friend. So why would I say it or encourage myself to like embody these habits, all these like negative ways of thinking for myself? So it's a little hard and I think it's kind of a daily struggle. You know, like sometimes I'll find myself in moments where I feel like I'm taken back into high school or something, you know, mm. and it can be really like challenging because all these like old things that you thought were resolved come back up. So it does take you know, a lot to like stay
1: present. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Sometimes when I'm in those moments and I'm triggered, it's like, how do you talk yourself down when you logically know that the reality of the situation isn't what your body is telling you it is? Mm-hmm. But on an emotional level, you feel like you're exactly in the place where the trauma first occurred. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it is a constant conversation. Therapy definitely helps. Totally. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I've I really like worked with and loved the analogy of the voice in your head is just like a radio, you know. These are just all the thoughts of the external world that you've taken on that are repeating themselves. And it's kind of – it's totally out of your control and it's just something that we all have to live with because part of being able to understand and speak in, in human language and meaning, that's what separates us from animals. And so naturally we have this constant like dialogue in our head. But just seeing it as a radio and like not you, like you are not that voice. And when you hear that voice just being like, that's the radio, you know, it's turned back on again, (laughs) time to turn it back down, time to change the station. Exactly. So I think that little things like that are really helpful, developing like a little way of kind of laughing at it you know I also had like a I think it was a counselor once who was like when you hear that voice try and change the way it sounds give it a funny voice Yeah, little things like that so you can just kind of lighten the tension because it does really feel like instantly your whole body is taking on this energy that you're like this isn't even mine like where is this coming from so just doing whatever it takes to remember that that's not you and it's not yours and separate Who you are, you know, inherently from those emotional responses. Because your body's just reacting to those thoughts anyway. And since they're not yours, none of it's yours, you know. (laughs) Do you consider – Easier said than done. (laughs) No, 100%. I mean,
1: all of it is. But Mm -hmm. I think it's like anything. It's a practice. Mm -hmm. Do you consider yourself an
0: empath? I do. And I think that there's a lot of value to understanding and owning labels like that because – again, like you can have access to these tools and language that you share with other people that can help you understand yourself and what you need. And also a sense of belonging because, you know, like when I first learned about the word empath, I was Googling and I was looking at forums and I was like, oh wow, you know, I'm not alone. Like it gives you a lot of comfort to know that. I think the danger can be that you identify with these labels and it can act as like something of an emotional crutch. And I've seen this in myself. So, like, I'm kind of coming from a personal place that I'll be in like a shopping mall and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm too sensitive. Everything's too b- b- light and bright, and people are so obnoxious, bloody, bloody, blah. And I'm just not doing myself any favors by saying, I am this way, and therefore I can't do X, Y, and Z, or I can't face X, Y, and Z, or I'm not the kind of person to get up and do stand up comedy or something right, like yeah. that. You know, so or um, even just
1: giving your yourself an excuse for having a bad mood because someone else had a bad mood. Like, yes, I guess what I'm curious about because I do consider myself like that too is how do you energetically protect yourself Mm -hmm. so that you are empathetic
0: toward other people, but you're not taking on their stuff? I think intention is just everything. Intention and magic are like synonymous, you know? And so for me, I just try and call upon like my higher self and all the, you know, beautiful positive forces of truth and love in the universe to let what's not mine be taken away from me, have what's mine stay with me you know and protect me and restore me and just transmute the rest into love you know which is just kind of like a quick visualization thing but it's really helpful if you're in a situation where you feel like somebody's drained you and again if you're like I'm this I'm an empath I'm a highly sensitive person I'm naturally going to be drained it can be a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy so just making sure that you know you're doing whatever it takes to feel strong and resilient and you're standing on your own two feet and you're grounded and I also try and do a lot of things like that. So I'm like not a grounded person. Like I tend to really naturally just live from the neck up. That's like shocking. I'm, yeah. I'm, I don't feel as connected to my body naturally as a lot of other people do. I have a friend who's been dancing their whole life. They're just so physical and they know what their body needs and they know what their, you know, their gut's telling them. And I'm not naturally like that. So I have to work really hard to feel I have ownership of my body and I'm in it and I'm grounded. (laughs) So I try really hard to, you know, just keep my feet on the ground, imagine roots, you know, connecting to the earth. But I do that a lot. And I also constantly imagine a shell or a bubble of light around me, which is like just helpful because I feel like when you do that a lot, you can kind of It's like you click your fingers and it's just like up. You're just like, shield's up. I'm done. I
1: picture it, especially if it's someone's words, I picture I'm bouncing off the bubble. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah, bouncy. You talked a little bit about trusting your gut Mm -hmm. and how that's something you have to really work on. Mm -hmm. What tactics do you use in order to tune into that gut and
0: strengthen it? So you know how some people will say – well, a lot of people will say that intuition is in the gut mm-hmm. and in moments you might feel funny in your gut and it's telling you mm-hmm. something. I definitely have those, but that's kind of by accident. I'm not trying to have that response. So the only thing that I like really consciously do in an attempt to like feel like I'm developing a relationship in that way is do like chakra meditations you know so I'll like focus especially on my root chakra and sacral chakra which are the two lower ones and they are also where you hold a lot of like guilt and shame and things like that too (laughs) (laughs) know that yeah (laughs) right so yeah so I try really hard to kind of like get in touch with them soothe them cleanse them like feel their power strengthen them And just that can be like I have a teacher who talks about imagining a rose in like the center of your chakra or all your chakras and just focusing on that and just kind of, you know, strengthening and getting to know what comes up and just seeing what unfolds, you know. And so a lot of what comes up for me to date has been you know, kind of negative stuff, like things that I haven't been aware that I've been holding. And I think that's just the first step, you know, like you have to get acquainted with and like clear any blocks before you can really expect that you – can just naturally, like, trust your God and yeah. have this, like, intuitive relationship. Now. I pictured yeah. a rose once. I'm good. Yeah, totally. <laughs> now my gut tells me every time I need to um, leave the room <laughs> or whatever. Bye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, Sorry. it's so true. It's like,
1: I have this weird thing. And this is an example, but I'll work out once and I'll look in the mirror and be like, do I have abs yet? Yeah. And I feel like that's my Achilles heel. The thing I need to continually keep working on is that I expect results immediately Mm -hmm. and it can be such a detriment to the creative process
0: yeah totally because like you're having to learn that you're not in control and it's really hard and I think that when people are having kind of like some kind of spiritual breakthrough where they're they're realizing that they need to be on a spiritual path and they try all these things and they're really excited and energized by it and then they're like why isn't this changing like my life still sucks or like whatever they totally Get that. But it's not like anything else in society, like a job where you show up and then you get paid. Like, Mm -hmm. you may never see the results, quote unquote, that you want to see. That's not the point. For example, like if I'm meditating on guilt and shame and all these things are coming up and I'm learning about them, that's not fun. Like, that's why they call it doing the work, you know, but it doesn't mean it's not worth doing. So, yeah. If that answers the question. No, it
1: does. I think, too, like, how do we find the beauty in those moments of discomfort in the gray areas where we don't – we can't be result-oriented because the results aren't linear?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do we find that beauty? I think it's just in the doing and, like, for me, the fact that I'm exploring – these things is sending a message to me that I'm worth it, that I have like something to teach myself and something to offer myself and that there's like wisdom to be gained, you know, and I'm not just on autopilot and you'll get these little glimpses of like a revelation about something or you'll like meditate and be like, I really need to be nicer to my mom. There's these little things and they're small, but they're like these really golden nuggets that are like, just for you, and it's definitely worth it. Like, as hard as it is, it feels right. Mm-hmm. It's like something about it is calling you, and you never regret doing it. You always feel like it's worth mm-hmm. it and that it's right, and that there's more to be gained, and you want to go deeper. Even when it sucks, you know, and like you're crying, you're still like, wow. So, I I think, again, that's saying something about who we are as beings on this earth and what we're here to do. And the fact that it feels aligned and so many people are attracted to it, I think just says something about what we're here for. Right. And I think there's something really cool that you said about finding
1: value in different things. Instead of being like, well, I have to have this revelation and then all of life will make sense. Like, Okay, maybe don't find value in that because we're all here because we're not perfect. If we were perfect, we'd be floating around being spirit guides somewhere. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So we're on earth to learn. And so if we can find value in the learnings instead of an end game, then we can find happiness in those awkward moments. But it is a constant process. And it hurts. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. But it is worth it. (laughs) So I want to get back to our little mermaid. Okay. I'd love to. (laughs) When did oh, the <laughs> you're like oh you don't want like, to talk about Ariel? Don't... yeah <laughs> um i'm i'm curious when the dream of becoming a
0: writer first ignited in you oh my gosh so i i loved writing in a diary and i always had one from like the age of 12 and i tried writing in one a little bit before that as well but i couldn't stick with it but i really stuck with it from 12 like all the way through to like Now, the last year or two, I've been pretty slack, but you know, I've always, that's been my main healing tool and just way to understand myself and express myself. And so I never really thought like I could be a writer or that I wanted to be a writer because I wasn't good at school. I was like pretty, you know, Dumb. <laughs> Why do you say that? Well, I didn't get good grades is what well, you, I mean by that.
1: So yeah, you didn't fit into the traditional conventions of what society valued.
0: No, no not at mm-hmm. all. And so in the last two or one year of, of high school, I started getting good grades because I was doing the subjects that I really loved. They were elective subjects, you know? And um in my situation, I don't know if it's still the case in Australia, but I didn't have to do maths or science or any subjects that I didn't want to do. So I chose all the subjects I liked and I was really interested in learning for the first time. I studied, blah de blah I got a mark of 83 out of 100. Hell yeah. And so I was like, cool, maybe like I can go to university, not any university because it's not... A mark that will let you into any, but at least a few. So I looked at them and I was like, okay, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? And I was just like, well, I love writing. I always kept a diary. Like maybe I should do journalism. So I just chose that at random. And I did it for two years at university, but I was studying, you know, a pretty like straight up reporting degree where it was like, you know, chasing car crashes and stuff like that. Which is and, a blast. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you need those skills and everything, but I was pretty bored. So I actually transferred to like a regular like Bachelor of Arts and I did gender studies and art history and fun stuff like that. And then I I graduated And then I was just working, like I was working in um, like retail stores and stuff. And this is all in Australia, right? This is all in Australia. And I did that for another year or two. And I was like, do I just keep doing this? Like, what do I do? You know, so I, I felt a little bit like the first two years that I was learning journalism were wasted and maybe I could go back and do a graduate diploma and finish up because I had done – while I was just working randomly in retail, I had done a couple of articles on like, you know, like reviewing bands and stuff. So I was like, yeah, writing's cool. Maybe I should just like pick it. So I kind of just – I felt like I wanted to do something that could – you know, earn me money for what I was naturally good at. And writing was the the first and only thing that came to mind. So I went back to school for another year and got a journalism diploma and then just started like interning and writing my ass off and just kind of like kept doing it from there. So I never really like dreamed of being a writer. I want to be a hairdresser. Do you still want that? Oh yeah, I would love that. Oh my gosh, you should do it. No, it's too hard. I tried to do an apprenticeship in high school for like a week and I really got turned off because <laughs> the apprentices, oh my God, they're like basically they're getting you. paid zero. No, oh. they're just not. They're you're getting like $4 like an hour. I'm sure it is as well. And you have to clean up, you know, the hair and do the laundry for like four years. Straight. I feel like
1: I would gag every day. Like I, one of my like not biggest fears, but like just like, eh things is when i have a hair in my mouth. Oh yeah. And i feel like you i would const like you'd have to constantly have hair on your person and in your mouth if you're I doing dream, that
0: job. I dream i have hair in my mouth and it just keeps coming out like what a does clown's that mean? ribbon. I can't get it all out. <gasps> this is my nightmare.
1: It is actually literally your nightmare.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I have so many questions from
1: the story you just told. So the first thing is we have a listener right now who is an artist, an amazing artist, and she reached out to me last night and was saying, you know, I've been binging your podcast. It's giving me so much faith while I'm working this retail job, but the retail job is really bringing me down and it's sucking my creative energy out and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to start. Mm -hmm. So you were in that retail job and you did start. Mm -hmm. So what would be your advice to her and people like her who are in those jobs that – They're paying the bills, but it's not your passion.
0: How do you start inching toward your passion? Yeah. Well, that's kind of it. Like, I just started inching. So my journalism diploma thing that I went back to study was in the evenings. So the classes were flexible for full-time workers. And then I just did the work, like the schoolwork and extracurricular writing stuff. So like reviews and street press, like best restaurants in Sydney, like st- kind of stuff like that whenever I could. And and really that was just like writing other nights of the week or writing over the weekend and just having a little bit less of a life. And it's really hard because I think you just have to be more tired before you're going to be less, you know, it's harder before it's easier. But, you know, when you're actually writing or actually making art – even though you're squeezing it in in every moment you can between working retail shifts, you're, you're energized, you know, so it's tiring, but you're like, oh, this is so worth it. And it feels good, you know? So it's definitely really, really hard. And it takes a lot of having like your eyes on the prize Mm -hmm. and being like, yes, I'm exhausted, but at least 30% of what I'm doing is just for me.
1: Yeah and I think just that forward motion going a little bit toward your dream first of all energizes you like you said and second of all it tells the universe hey I'm ready so yeah. you can't you can't give up just because something is tiring you out during the day
0: yes and I I would also say cuz I still really relate to this conversation strongly. We were just talking about it. Yeah. (laughs) Is you want to jump into something immediately and you want to like say goodbye to your current job and just be like, I'm living and working for me. I would advise to keep inching and do it slowly and find that balance between working so you can pay your rent and working on your own things. I still have a part-time job even as I'm doing all these other things because everybody needs a day job and it's only really if you have some kind of insane trust fund or you've been already doing it for you know 10 or more years that you're able to like really stand on your own so I mean if people are in a position where they can dive into something headfirst that's amazing but I can't relate to that and I don't think most people can most people can't and that's why you know you just Think of the money when you're when you're there. And then when you're not there, just do as much as you can. That's just for you.
1: And I'm gonna share one thing that my friend Raina said, which I think is the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. I hope to have her on the show sometime. But she said, think of your job as your investor. Every great business needs an investor. And so when you're there, they're just investing in your company, which is you and all of your dreams. Yeah. And if you can reframe your employer from being like, oh, it's this thing that's holding me back from what I really want to do to it's this thing that's actually empowering me to do what I want to do. It changes everything.
0: Mm. It's funding your dreams.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that is amazing. So true. So
0: thank your investor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you spoke about Basically, taking that leap to go toward yourself. And you recently left Girl Boss. That's how we met, mm-hmm. doing your amazing podcast, Self Service, which everyone should go check out. It's on Apple Podcasts and it's awesome. So, you left there. I'm sure that job was a dream job for you. It's a dream job for many people. And so, making that decision to go off on your own must have been heavy. And so I'm wondering how you got to the place where you were courageous enough to say, okay, this actually isn't my dream anymore and I need to go towards something that's authentic to me.
0: Yeah. It was really hard and it took like a lot of soul searching. In doing that, I realized that, you know, I was proving a lot to other people when I was, you know, ever since I was learning how to write at university to up until the age of, you know, 33, I was like... I'm going to be a writer. Yes, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make people proud of me. I'm going to show everyone that I'm not stupid. Like I thought, you know, and all these things. And I was really looking for a lot of like external validation. And I had worked like so hard in my career to get to this point, but it wasn't necessarily for the most healthy reasons. And so that's kind of where like, you know, exhaustion and burnout can come from because we may not have the best intentions for ourselves when we give so, you know, 120% of ourselves to something that's not for us. And so, you know, I was really sick. I was like, okay, well, something needs to change. And I was thinking a lot about why I was sick and stressed and just decided that because of my own, like literally just my own pr- pressure that I was putting on myself it was too much. And I could either keep going like that and, you know, age myself energetically really quickly, (laughs) or I could change it. And so, Yeah. For me, that was really emotional because I was realizing like, oh my God, I care more about what my mom thinks of my career than I actually care Mm. about my own opinion of my career, you know? So once you get to that point, you're like, okay, what's actually going to make me happy? Like, what do I care about? And that's the exact point that I was like, what would baby Jericho love to do all day? And that was like magic. And you know, like, being with their intuition and believing in fairies and all these kinds of things like that's what like really lights me up and you know when you're 18 20 25 you know, you can't really understand like how that could be a career <laughs> but I kind of got to a point where because of Boss, you know I was I was learning so much about self-care and I was studying tarot and reading tarot and all these things and it, it took me that long in my life to understand how the pieces of what I had to offer were coming together. And so it was kind of like I could just not like burn the candle at both ends. So I'm curious how it felt right after you quit. Oh, so scary. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was scary mostly because I I wasn't really over it. My whole ego was still completely invested in it and my whole identity was defined by it and that hadn't changed, you know, like just because I realised that maybe I needed to look after myself better and take care of my health, it didn't mean that I was any less proud of what I have achieved or very identified and attached to it. So I was like, what am I doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Some days I still think that I'm like, oh my but, god, I should never have left, you know. But then I'm like, but you no, thought it's that okay. when you were
1: there too, you know. That's exactly. Funny thing. Yeah. It's like we like to spin a different story for ourselves when we're in a different environment. Always. But we're, we're always kind of thinking the same thing. So you might as well take a chance on yourself.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Cause that voice of doubt really never goes away. That's just the radio and you can't really let that hold you back. Like it really is just fear, you know? So yeah, I was like so deeply invested in that role and that idea of myself that it's not like once you take the leap, you're going to feel so good because you might not, but doesn't mean it's not worth doing still. It's just that your mind is always going to bring up all these, um, this uh, resistance, mm-hmm. and that's kind of a sign that you're pushing yourself, definitely.
1: And you brought up again the idea of feeling dumb as a child, and then the repercussions of that, and the the choices you make as a result of that. I also had that feeling in second grade. I basically, I would say, I wasn't bullied by kids; I was bullied by teachers and adults in my life, mm. which is crazy. But my teacher in second grade really made me feel dumb, and I was like sent to remedial reading and. I just didn't feel capable. And then my third grade teacher, which I could like literally cry talking over, told me I was smart Mm -hmm. and changed my life. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering for people like us who grew up with that programming, how can we start changing our mind to realize that we are smart? It's just in a different way.
0: Yeah. Well... I think it's just like really hearing that mm-hmm. and be- really believing that and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to you're going to take that on and you're never going to think that you're um not smart again cuz again it's all just cyclical and your negative voice is going to come up in interesting and humorous ways forever lol <laughs> <laughs> love it funny stuff um but it's just holding on to that idea that you have something to offer and using that as like your you know north star like that's the thing that's always the truth and when you're in doubt you always look towards that and that's the that's like your anchor so you may never feel like you I believe that you 100% believe that and can own that but life is just about trying your best to you know yeah yeah and having pride in that exactly that you're on that journey and that this is something you know that you want to walk towards and that you deserve to believe and integrate as much as humanly possible you know despite all the negative voices because yeah unlearning anything is like a lifelong process oh
1: boy is it ever
0: (laughs) you're like I've got it I'm good Just kidding. Yeah. Oh, whoopsie. One second. Well, I think it's kind of – it's important to say for me because we're now living in this time like with social media and everything where um, people put a lot of like faith and trust in healers and the idea of being healed. We're always talking about healing and healed and I think that that is – it's a doing word and it's never like a point that you really reach. Like, if someone's like, I used to be this, that, and the other, and then I was healed. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true, though. Yeah. Because, like, think
1: about your skin. Even when you scar your skin, like, even when you cut your skin, you have a scar after. Your skin never goes back to being normal. Mm -hmm. It's always on you. So why would our emotional trauma be any different? We do our best. Obviously, it's not infected and gaping open Mm -hmm. for all the world to see. But the scar is still there. And sometimes if you go over the scar in a certain way,
0: it hurts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And like you said earlier, if we were perfect, what would be the point of anything? Yeah. Why are you here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why haven't you just like elevated to yeah. heaven? Exactly. <laughs> so I think that's something that we all need to like own a little bit more and don't be fooled if if you see other people online and talk about them being healed and healing this and healing that. That's all a process that they're going through. That's not an endpoint that they've reached. It's not like there's there's not like this point where you're like suddenly like, oh, and like all the scars go like Ariel, off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just want to bring it back to Ariel. Yeah, every just time. to bring Sorry. it back to our favorite mermaid.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to your amazing book, Neo Tarot. I want to come clean and tell you that I grew up thinking that like tarot was a part of the dark arts because I'm Italian Catholic and my mom was like, don't go near those cards. Uh Bad things will happen. So I was petrified at tarot and then I had friends who started doing it and then I realized, oh, they're just cards that give you insight about life. It's Mm -hmm. not like someone's casting darkness upon me. So yeah, if you could just for those of us who have a really skewed idea of what tarot is. Could you define how you see it
0: and what made you fall in love with it? So I had the same experience. My mom is, she and her side of the family are very superstitious and witchy in their own ways, but they're also religious. And so, which is an interesting mix. yeah, Yeah, totally. I was really drawn to tarot because I was drawn to all spooky things when I was a kid. And so I was like the kid that I loved reading about mysterious things and and like ghosts and even like stigmata and stuff like that I love that shit so I was like that kid so my my dad's girlfriend had a tarot deck and I remember looking at that I must it must have left a pretty big impression on me because I remember just playing with it one day just once and then when I was a little bit older like a teen I like had a tarot deck but I didn't Look at it or play with it. I kept it under my bed because I was scared that if I played with it, I would like summon a demon. Yeah, but I still had an attraction, you know. So it it did take a lot of trying to deprogram myself to lose that fear. And the reason I did was because you know, as I as I got older, I was kind of like, all right, well, I got a lot of baggage and stuff from my mom, and all of this is probably an example of that. So I kind of. I was like, what do I believe? Like, I don't think that that's true. So once I kind of realized that, I was like, yeah, I can do that. Anyway, so um, it, it only has the meaning that you give it everything. I feel like that's how every religious or spiritual belief system or, or magic works. It's whatever you think it is. And so if you approach it as these are archetypal symbols that you know, mean certain things and they're going to give me insight into certain aspects of my psyche, then that's all it is. Like an inkblot test at like a psychiatrist's office. If you think, okay, I'm going to use these cards to bring in certain energies into my life. Like I'm going to put, for example, like the Ace of Pentacles on my altars to attract more money. That's the case. You know, I I really believe that it's whatever power we give it and the intention we set is how it will respond because I just feel like that's how the universe responds. So if you kind of just feel like, I don't know if I believe in magic and stuff, but I just want to use them as like a tool to understand myself better, then that's totally okay. (laughs) And it can just be that.
1: You say tarot is directly linked to self-care.
0: Could you explain that? Yeah. Well, that's just kind of my experience. I feel like they're really closely connected just because When I've worked with Tarot, it's always been because I needed support and I needed to go on a journey of introspection for one reason or another and what it's given me, all the things that I think self-care should give me, which is just, you know, like a safe container to feel my feelings, to reflect on what I want and, you know, just basically like as a symbolic gesture to myself to say that I deserve to just take time out and, and think about Where I'm at. So, all the reasons that I think that people go to tarot readers often, or at least if they're tarot readers that are kind of, you know, heart centered and are there to help people with where they're at currently, rather than say, I can predict your marriage life or whatever, then that's what you get. And so, I just think that, you know, my experience of self care is very closely linked to spirituality, which is why now I say that I'm a spiritual self care coach, because I think self care is always spiritual even if maybe you don't see it through that lens and maybe a better word for you is I don't know insert whatever word right it always feels like there's something more deeply emotional going on that is invisible so if you're like sitting in front of the mirror using like a jade roller of your face maybe to someone walking past the bathroom it just looks like You're slapping some stuff on your face, but it might be a deeply emotional or even spiritual experience. And so I kind of always just see self-care as that. And Tarot is just, you know, one of the tools that someone can have in their toolbox to develop a a healthy self-care practice in their lives.
1: Yeah, you just kind of opened up an area of my mind to think about self-care. And I think really it's about getting back. Mm. It's about getting back, touching base with your soul who you really are, underneath all the bullshit, underneath all of the weight of society, underneath your job, your relationships even, everything,
0: getting back to that base. Yeah, I love that. Exactly. Like I think the best self-care is just stuff that takes care of your basic needs. And in doing that, really simple things like drinking water, you're doing something that feels like you're finding your way home. Yeah. So that's beautiful. Well, you're beautiful.
1: I was wondering if you would maybe pull a card for our amazing creatives to kind of- I would love to. Give them a message about their creative process or what do you think would be a good question for us to ask?
0: I think a good question might be like, what do we all like collectively need to know or will be inspired by this week okay. on the creative front? And then, I mean, I feel like every card has like a creative interpretation and I would actually encourage if anyone's interested in tarot for creatives specifically, there's a book called The Creative Tarot by Jessa Crispin. And for every card, there's an interpretation of that card that speaks directly to creatives, wow. whether they're musicians, artists, writers, whatever. And she tells you how you can work with them Um in you know in a storyboarding capacity and all this great stuff that's so really interesting and
1: the cool thing about your book is too which is by the way available on amazon and wherever good books are sold you put like self-care like for each card you put a self-care practice right along Mm -hmm. with it
0: cool all right okay oh this is so gorgeous okay so this is the eight of pentacles the eight of pentacles in the neo-tarot picture on the card it's a woman with a canvas painting um, which is I got so special yeah isn't that gorgeous yes so she's like painting on an easel but she's also standing on stairs Mm -hmm. and the reason that I like this card for creatives is that it's really talking about the cumulation of a lot of hard work (laughs) but it's also hard work in an interesting sense because it's really not focused on the end point it's very much just in the doing so for this figure they're so focused on what they're working on that it's like a form of meditation it's like if you can imagine you know what like a bonsai master like in the trimming and the like cultivation of a plant they're actually going to a spiritual place because their integrity and their like love and passion for what they're doing is so pronounced that in the doing is the pleasure. They don't even care about what's going to happen next. So it's kind of like the archetype of a really proud artisan who's making things and taking so much care with them. Like, And then the reason that she's kind of like hovering on a staircase as well is because, you know, like, it's a it's a cumulative effect you're learning and you're walking towards something and it's coming to a head so it's really kind of it feels like you're closer to the finish line than you might think and it's really really exciting but I also just like it because it's a journey it's a process it's like not easy you're going up this huge huge staircase that seems never-ending but like if you stay focused on the heart of what you're doing and how it feels really deeply in, inside, then you have everything you need. So whether, whether you do it in a quote-unquote successful way or not, it doesn't make a difference because you would do it anyway. You would do it for free. It's like that kind of creativity. Oh,
1: this is such a good sign for you, my creative soul listening. Thank Yay. you so much for pulling that. So you've got Neotero. But then in November, you are birthing another book into the world. It's going to be called Daily Oracle. Seek answers from your higher self.
0: Can you tell me a little
1: bit about that one?
0: So that one's not based on any kind of, you know, system like tarot is very old. Daily Oracle is more just kind of it was written really intuitively. And essentially, it's an eight ball, but in a book. So the idea is that you have a question, you hold the book you think of your question, you put your hands down the sides of the pages. You're like, okay, I'm ready for my answer. And then you just flip it over on any page and every page has an answer or an affirmation to your question. So the idea is every day, you approach your book and ask a thoughtful question and it gives you an insight into what you need to know. So yeah, it's a, it's like a book of answers.
1: That sounds like a great morning practice, you know, something that doesn't take too long, but you can tune in really get in touch with yourself and get a little message for the day.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I can't wait to read it. And I know we have a lot of listeners who are writers. So what would be your advice to them if they are interested in writing a book? on how
0: to go about that process and even go about getting it published? Okay, so two sides to this. The first <laughs> side is that I was lucky enough that I had a platform working at Goboss where I was actually approached by a publisher. They asked me to do like a self-care picture book because I'd done a story on Goboss that was like the self-care A to Z. <laughs> and I said, what if it was about terror? And I kind of proposed that instead. And luckily, they were very keen on the idea. So I was very, very lucky in that respect. That said, I think for people that don't have that experience, I know that you can kind of go online and see how to approach publishers and how to approach agents and who is available for that kind of you know, cold emailing, I guess you could call it. So the other thing is if you just write like constantly, like you're always writing, which is what I did for a really long time, people will find you, you know, like that's the truest thing that I've learned in my career. Like before I was at Girlboss, I was writing for an Australian youth culture, fashion publication. This is like five years before. And Sophia noticed my writing because she Sophia is the CEO of Girlboss and reached out to me and we were talking about nasty gal and that didn't work out but they just followed me ever since and I feel like that's kind of the thing like if you just constantly share like your work with the world and don't stop and don't get discouraged and if it's like 10 years down the road and you're like what's the point of this you know get back in touch with the eight of pentacles again and f- if it fills you up, then that is the point. And that's enough. But I think that it's really important to just consistently share, 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 share with the world, because you honestly never know who's listening, and who's just like waiting for a good moment to approach you. Um, so I would say, like, don't be afraid to approach people. But also, like, don't wait for anybody. I feel like, you know, I used to make zines. <laughs> what is that? It's like a self-published mini-magazine. And it's kind of very DIY and very punk and it's often just photocopied, stapled together. But before I had ever written a review or anything in, in somebody else's paper or magazine or website, I was just doing them myself, you know. So I don't think that in this day and age we ever need to wait for permission. You can publish ebooks, You can do whatever you want to do yourself and then you never know, like, where things will go from there because didn't, like – you know, Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey and stuff like that start as, like, an independently published... Fifty Shades of Grey was fan fiction from Twilight. Right, yeah. yeah, And now it's a
1: multi-million dollar fan. So, yeah, Yeah. it's true. It's true. And I think that, you know, I've said this before on the show, but it's really interesting and you're never going to believe who this amazing advice came from, but Rob Lowe came Uh on Maria Shriver's podcast and he talked about how the energy of doing something for yourself, maybe it won't, like bring you to the highest high, maybe it will, you don't know, but even if it doesn't bring you to that ultimate career goal you have, the energy of doing that brings other opportunities to you.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, You're just signaling to everybody around you and to the universe that like, this is who you are and this is what you're doing and you're not going to stop. And you can only, you know, succeed in one way or another by doing that. 100%. I know you do tarot
1: readings, which I highly recommend anyone should do because, I mean, come on, the card you pulled alone for our audience is just like the most magical, amazing thing, and you're an incredible intuitive and human being and energy. But something that a lot of creatives struggle with, especially creative women, is figuring out how to set a price and feeling guilty about setting a certain price, but then if they don't set the price high enough, feeling like they're getting taken advantage of. So there's a whole thing. So I'm curious how you went about setting your prices and your advice
0: for others who are in the midst of figuring that out. Yes. Okay. So I tried to not be distracted by anything that I saw because everybody's different and you never know like what's gone into people's decision-making around setting their prices and stuff. But for me, I was just like, okay, what would I make if I did this many readings over this much time down the line? And so I kind of worked backwards, like what do I need to make, you know? And so you'd be like, oh, okay, so if I do these many at this price over this period of time, I could make this in a year. And like – so I think it's important to like have some kind of light at the end of the tunnel or some kind of overarching amount in mind because you want to make sure you can make rent and to live your life and buy food and all the things, but then you also want to make sure that you're not just living week to week and suffering just because you don't want to increase it that little bit. So find what you need, add more <laughs> Good practice, and, and maybe like it's, 20% more because you're comfortable with that maybe it's like double that because that's just what you want it doesn't matter like that that's a really personal and emotional decision and that is going to bring up a lot of stuff. resistance <laughs> stuff around <laughs> your worth and how you see yourself but you know just just work on it see what feels right meditate on it find that number and then just like do the math backwards from there like that's that's all I did. That's a really great practical tool you just gave. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. And the other thing that I would say is factor in time as well. Cause like I only tarot read for one day out of the week. And so my prices are actually probably higher than other people who might have been doing tarot longer. But again, it's totally personal. And for me, I have, you know, less time to give. And so you have to there's so many variables is what I would say. So calculate like that but do it in whatever way just feels comfortable and always change it up if you feel like it just because your prices have been at a certain amount for the last year or whatever it doesn't mean that you can't just suddenly increase them or decrease them I don't know if you're that kind of person don't know why you would but you know (laughs) yeah I mean listen you make
1: your own rules anything is possible exactly so my final
0: questions
1: go back to little Jericho. And I think that the creative is directly linked to the inner child. And so I'm wondering if little Jericho is standing in front of you, you're both in the same room looking at each other.
0: What do you think she would say to you and why? Oh, my God, that's so gorgeous. Don't even make me cry. I think little Jericho would say, like, just probably something really pithy but perfect, like, just don't forget me you know like don't forget what lights you up inside don't forget to play don't forget to be imaginative and to dance and to like be in your own world and not give a fuck if that's weird to other people and you know we can get older and just forget that we're the same person you know we're literally just our little baby cells getting bigger but we don't change and we we do tend to like separate them out and and it is a really valuable exercise to see your inner child and to have a conversation with them and cuddle them and, you know, tell them what they need to hear. They're still alive. You know, Aww. they haven't gone anywhere and they're like still with us every single day. So they have really valuable stuff for us that we need to hear. But I would also say like speak to them and make a practice of doing that because like they're still present inside you and still listening and there's a lot that they need to hear as well yeah. but I think little Jericho would just say you know don't forget and what would you say to her and why I would say I think I would just say like you are loved you're perfect it's gonna be okay keep going you'll have more time there's always more time you know like you have another chance to experience childhood the way you want to every day so it's never like too late and you don't have to like mourn for what you've lost because it's it's ongoing and you can always like like we say like relearn and Mm -hmm. re-experience write a new story Mm -hmm. Jericho I love you so much that was
1: beautiful you gave us so much to work with and meditate on and You're such a gift to this world and I just adore you. Thank you for coming on the show.
0: I adore you too. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for listening and to my guest Jericho Mandubur. For more information on Jericho, you can follow her at Jericho Mandubur and go to JerichoMandubur.com. You can also get her book Neo Tarot on Amazon and wherever good books are sold. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's original music. Follow her at Liz Full. And thank you again for listening to and supporting the show. If the show has helped you or you just enjoy it and you haven't already, please give the show a rating and review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts. I cannot emphasize how much it helps the show grow. Also, share it with a friend. Just text it to them and say, hey, you're creative join us, babe. You can follow the show at Unleash Your Inner Creative on Instagram and Facebook and at you are Inner Creative on Twitter. Find me at Lauren Grosso everywhere. My biggest takeaway from Jericho is that healing is a lifelong process. It's painful and arduous, but it's so worth it. Also, that fairies are real. I hope you have a magical week. I believe in you. Talk soon.